Tego. I'm John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. On my last podcast, titled Their Courts Are Not For Us, podcast number 549, I discussed how, in spite of the U.S. claim that their courts are arbiters of justice and the current remedy for any of our conflicts with states, the feds, or any citizen or corporation, that they aren't. And as I said, more often than not, and I talked about it on the last podcast, the courts will do whatever they can to avoid even addressing things like subject matter jurisdiction, even addressing what rights we may have that that operate outside of state authority or state regulations. So instead, if we do find a sympathetic court, a sympathetic judge or panel of judges, they're simply going to find a way to dismiss the case. Now, and on the face of it, that sounds, well, yeah, good. You got the case dismissed. That, that's great. The problem is that it's, it's not a win because we never establish precedent. We never establish that the states have overreached. And in fact, Time and time again, the courts go out of their way to avoid a ruling. Like I said, either through dismissing something or really just refusing to make a ruling. And, and we've had this to happen, especially regarding land claims, where a court will say, it's up to you to resolve this. You need to negotiate a settlement. And, you know, that's why you got an unsettled uh, circumstance out there with the Black Hills. That's why the Oneidas finally started buying property back because they couldn't get a settlement with, uh, with New York State. So don't tell me that the courts are a remedy for resolving conflicts. None of these things should be dealt with in terms of litigation. These are not legal issues. They are political issues. They are diplomatic issues. Look, if the United States wants to make a claim that we are no longer the people we once were, that they have forced their citizenship upon us, then let's talk about it. And let's, let's discuss how that happens and whether that's legal or not, you know, by any international standard. I mean, the, the fact is that there is language that they wrote in treaties that said things like, we acknowledge that, the, that your land is yours and that we will never claim the same, nor will we disturb you in the free use and enjoyment of your lands. I mean, this is language that they wrote. And there's never been anything that changed any of that language. So what happens is we get hit with another threat from the United States Justice Department that has come specifically due to the lack of any diplomatic vehicle to resolve these very conflicts. Just last week, letter comes in and it's from James Patrick Kennedy, who is the U.S. attorney for the Western District of New York. Sent uh, pretty much the same letter to a bunch of smoke shops. To whom it may concern, we have received information suggesting that certain individuals and businesses here in the Western District of New York may be engaged in the unlicensed illegal distribution of unstamped, improperly packaged Roly cigarettes on which applicable federal and New York state taxes have not been paid. Please be advised that the manufacture or distribution of untaxed cigarettes is a violation of several federal statutes and could subject you to prosecution and criminal and civil forfeiture penalties. This letter requests that if in fact you are engaging in such conduct that you immediately cease and desist these activities. The 
Contraband Cigarette Trafficking Act makes it unlawful to knowingly ship, transport, receive, possess, sell, distribute, or purchase contraband cigarettes or smokeless tobacco. Violations of the CCTA are punishable by imprisonment of up to five years. Property that is involved in and proceeds of CCTA violations is subject to seizure and forfeiture. New York State law requires a tax stamp on all cigarettes possessed in New York State, subject to certain exemptions which are not applicable here. The CCTA New York State stamping requirements apply to Native Americans. The illegal unlicensed production and or distribution of untaxed cigarettes is punishable by imprisonment of up to five years. The federal laws mentioned above will be enforced in the Western District of New York. Those individuals or businesses engaged in the unlicensed, the illegal production, or distribution of unstamped, improperly packaged, rolly cigarettes face serious criminal and civil forfeiture penalties. To the extent you may be doing so, I encourage you to consider the consequences of engaging in such practices. Very truly yours, James P. Kennedy Jr., United States Attorney. This is the Seneca Nation territory. It is not part of New York. It's not part of the Western District of New York. It's not a part of the United States. Somebody's got to tell these people this. And this is one of those discussions that we need to have. Look, there's so much to unpack here that uh, I guess I can, I've got to go state something that's not in the letter first. First off, this James Kennedy is outgoing. He's on his way out the door. He's a Republican uh, and there's a Democrat in the presidency. So he's going to be replaced and probably replaced within the next few weeks. Looking at this letter and why it's even being sent now, we understand that the feds have looked the other way on the fact that we don't, that we don't collect sales tax or, or excise tax or pay excise tax on, uh, on sales of cigarettes, at least not to New York State. So the, the, the tobacco that's for sale on all of our native territories, at least in, you know, the Haudenosaunee territories, none of them are stamped. There are no stamped cigarettes, at least not stamped by New York State, in any smoke shop on native territories. Not, not in the areas that New York, New York is trying to claim. We don't send these cigarettes to the city. They're only for sale to consumers who come onto our territory to purchase. Now, the problem is, and this gets back to what I talked about last week, there's a, the state is insisting that they have the right to tax sales to non-natives on our territories. They have no way to, to enforce it. So it's almost you know, void right from the start because you can't pass a law that you simply are unable or unwilling to enforce. And so when, when James Kennedy suggests that... that that he is going in any of these violations are going to be prosecuted in Western, uh, in the Western district of New York. Again, we aren't in the Western district of New York. This is the Seneca nation territory that he sent all these things, all these letters to, but everybody, I mean, the Seneca nation itself is engaged in the sale of unstamped cigarettes. As far as, uh, James Kennedy is concerned and, you know, inciting the, the contraband cigarette trafficking act that, that law has all kinds of holes in it. I mean, just the idea that they're saying that the only ones who can have unstamped cigarettes are, are the ones licensed by New York State, that's suggesting that, that Seneca Nation can't, or any of the nation, can't have their own wholesaler. I mean, let's be clear. 
there are tobacco, <laughs> there are cigarettes for sale on native territories in Long Island, in Onondaga, in Oneida, in Aquasasne, in Ganyonge, <laughs> in uh, Tonawanda, in Cayuga Territory, and in the Seneca Nation Territories. They're also for sale in the Seneca Nation casinos, the ones in Buffalo, <laughs> the ones in, uh, or the, the one in uh, Niagara Falls, and the one uh, in, in Salamanca. The Seneca Nation has one stops. They have their, their own uh, uh, convenience store uh, line, two of which are on, one is in Buffalo and one is in, in Niagara Falls. Look, it's on Seneca Nation property, don't get me wrong, but to listen to this guy suggest how he's going to come at, like threatening that he's going to come after anybody who is selling or even purchasing for that matter on stamp cigarettes. Well, that's, that's what our business is. So how do you send a letter like this? Knowing that we've been doing this for 30 freaking years and the, and the feds have never tried to stop us from selling, uh, selling tobacco without New York state stamps on it. They've never, you know why? Because they were still getting their money because even the native brands that we sell here, are all compliant with, uh, with ATF regulations. They're all compliant with the D Department of Treasury regulations. The, the, the packs of cigarettes, whether they're, you know, Signals or, or um, uh, Seneca's, you know, whatever, Herons, all, all of the native brands that there are here, and there's, there's over a dozen of them. Many of them are produced right here within Seneca territory, some produced in, in other native territories on the other side of the, the continent. Um, Senecas are, are produced both here in Seneca territory and uh, in Oswego. So the idea that he's suggesting, I mean, here's the crazy part. Seneca cigarettes are imported across the border. They come through a, a free trade zone and they have to be cleared through customs. So the federal government gets paid. They know that there's not going to be a, a, a New York State stamp on those products. So this moron sends his letter, and again, prefaces it a little bit with this, this idea of Rollies being, uh, being sold. And again, for those who don't know, Rollies are cigarettes that are essentially put in bags. You know, they're, they're, they're like loose cigarettes. Um, they, they are not put in cartons. They are not individually packaged for the most part. And they are not compliant with, uh, with federal law. There's no federal excise tax on them. They don't have the packaging. They don't have UCC codes. They don't have Surgeon General warnings labels on them. All, none of that stuff. And we can have that debate whether those products should be offered on our territory. I think that they should be. I, you know, look, they're legalizing marijuana for Christ's sake. Recreational marijuana. And, and, and the state is still going to try to be heavy-handed. And the federal government's going to try to help them be heavy-handed over whether we produce some generic brand, essentially. And that's what, what Rollies have become is essentially our version of a generic. And there's nothing wrong with them. I mean, other than they don't have federal excise tax paid on them. Well, we can, that's the other debate that we need to have. We're not having that conversation about what, what laws state or federal should apply on our territories. We look, we have come to loggerheads over things like the um, IRS but the feds will sit there and play this game as if they can dictate you need to follow federal law even if you're not following state law. I mean, this Contraband Cigarette Trafficking Act is, is a sham. And it's, it's ludicrous to suggest that this federal law, which is wrapped around state law in this kind of circular reason, is something that, that, they, can, they, that they keep threatening to enforce on us. 
I mean, there's no way in hell they're going to come onto uh, onto territory and confiscate every un, unstamped cigarette on the shelves of every store on, uh, on, our, on our territories. And they sure as hell are not going to seize property. And you know what? If they, if they decide they're going to try to criminally prosecute somebody, the likelihood is the court will dismiss it. Just goes right back to what I said. They won't address it. But just so you know, the court, the, the, the laws that, um, that Kennedy cited, especially the Oneida versus Cuomo, which is kind of an extension of the Atia case, which was a case that many try to characterize as the, as the law that allowed New York State to tax us. It wasn't. We'll hear argument next to number 93-377, Department of Taxation and Finance of New York versus Milhelm Atiyah and Brothers. What the Atiyah case was, it was a New York State wholesaler who were supplying native territories with unstamped cigarettes. And this is before we had even had native brands. So these were premium U.S. brands, essentially. And when it looked like New York State was going to try to stop that and say, no, no you can no longer sell unstamped cigarettes to, uh, to quote-unquote Indian reservations, the Atiyah brothers preemptively made sure that they had a federal Indian trader's license. And this is issued from the Interior Department. So this is a federal license to do business with native, uh, native territories. The Atiyah brothers challenged it. And they said, look, we have a federal Indian trader's license. And that supersedes state regulations. We have, a, we have a federal license to do business with native territories. Thank you, Mr. Zadarsky. Ms. Brinkman, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. We submit that the New York tax regulations are invalid for at least three reasons. First, they're preempted by federal Indian trader statutes which occupy the field. Second, the state regulations are preempted because they conflict with the Indian trader statutes and the implementing regulations. And third, the state their argument was was that their federal Indian traders, their federal license, not state license, they were state license too, but what they were using was their federal Indian traders license to sell products to directly to native native territories, and that superseded state law. Has this court indicated that a state can even require an Indian retailer? Uh, to assume minimum burdens of record keeping and the collection and payment to the state of taxes on sales by the Indian retailer to non-Indians. Yes, Justice O'Connor. And the state says that's all they're doing here. But that's not all the state is doing here. The state is imposing the, the tax one step further back in the distribution chain at the time of the wholesale transaction. Section 471 of the New York tax law imposes a tax at the time of the sale by the respondents to their Indian they purchases. They say they're only taxing based on projected sales to non-Indians. That's their scheme anyway. That's true, and, and, and that's what their claim is. But frankly, we have no way of determining whether that is a reasonable scheme. Well, there are no procedures. True, if that's true, is there a problem under our, our cases? I think so, Your Honor. I think there's a substantial problem. Because this court has recognized that regulating trade with Indians is a federal matter. And it, it is so because there should be consistency, because the federal government has a responsibility to Indians. 
because the federal government has experience in regulating these matters. And therefore, there is a uniform scheme that applies to regulating people who sell, who sell to Indians. That scheme, for better or worse at this point, does not include the right of a state to impose a tax and, and require... The and the Supreme Court ruled against him. And the way the Supreme Court ruled against him, they cited other territories out west, you know, Colville, you know, um, Blackfoot Territory, Potawatomi Territory. In fact, they made it very clear that what they were addressing in ATIA at the federal, at the Supreme Court, was a facial challenge. Does a federal Indian trader's license supersede um, state law? They weren't addressing any treaties. They certainly weren't addressing anything involving any of our Haudenosaunee territories or any of the other native territories that interact and, and, and that are under scrutiny by New York State. I assume this, this could be a problem for any New York sales taxes, couldn't it? It just so happens that the tax is particularly high on cigarettes, and that's why, yes. why the problem yes. arises. Yes, that is correct. But it could happen for sales of other goods. Yes, and there have been very serious problems when New York has attempted to collect sales taxes uh, on reservation sales, and we're trying to get at it without creating, uh, if you will, uh, uh, it wouldn't be a civil war because these are sovereign nations, but without creating a war with the with the Indian nations or with individuals on the Indian reservations. And that's why this allocation system, what allocates a certain number of tax-free cigarettes is the most efficient way and easiest So none of our stuff was even considered here. They, they used territories that are oftentimes very checkerboarded. And by checkerboarded, I mean, you know, they have lost lands you know parcel by parcel piece by piece so when you're going through some of these territories you can't tell if you're on a native territory or not on a native territory some of the municipal services are provided by the outlying towns not by the the, the quote-unquote reservation themselves so they cited these examples and what they the way they defeated the atias on this was they said we have had courts uphold what they call the minimum burden uh concept they said that the courts have upheld uh, that have held that states can impose a minimum burden on tribes to assist in uh, the collection of uh, tobacco tax. Department of Taxation and Finance of New York against Milhelm Atia and Brothers at Al comes to us from the Court of Appeals of the State of New York. It involves the validity of a regulatory scheme adopted by New York for the purpose of preventing the evasion of taxes imposed on the sale of cigarettes. Members of Indian tribes who purchase cigarettes on Indian reservations are exempt from the tax, but non-Indians making purchases on the reservations are required to pay it. The New York scheme imposes record-keeping requirements and quotas on the wholesalers who sell untaxed cigarettes to reservation Indians. The legal question is whether that program is in conflict with federal statutes that govern trade with the Indians. The Court of Appeals held the program invalid, but for reasons that are stated in the opinion filed with the clerk, we come to a contrary conclusion and therefore reverse the judgment of the Court of Appeals. So what the court had said is if the tribes themselves could be held um, to account to, to assist or at least required to, to provide or, or withstand a minimum burden to collect taxes for the state, then some non-native wholesaler with their federal Indian traders license can't, you know, can't dodge that bullet. They can't supersede state law if the tribes themselves in those instances couldn't. So the, they never really addressed us here. They used 
again, they use weak links, right? They, they find a case that they were able to get a court ruling and that, and that court ruling is held. And that's how they, that's how they de defeated Atiyah. Now, our solution to the whole thing, based on some of the language in Atiyah and those other cases, Moe and Colville and some of these other cases, which clearly stated that the state's process, which was to try to pre-collect tax with their tax stamp for product that we were bringing onto our territory to sell back to, to non-native consumers, really put the burden not on native territories, although we had to, well, I'll get into that. They put the burden really on, um, on the consumer. Now, if we were going to sell those products, we were going to have to increase the overhead cost of those products and, and then we could charge more. But then we would lose our right to market our regulatory advantage that every state, every county, every city, every country for that matter does this. I mean, let me, let me make one thing clear. You know, as Kennedy is referring to, um, well, there are exceptions that don't, don't apply here. Let me talk about one of those exceptions. Everybody in the state of New York can go can purchase cigarettes without a New York stamp on them outside of New York and bring them into New York. Everybody can, even in New York City where they have an additional city tax. Somebody from New York City can go to North Carolina and they can buy tobacco, buy products, cigarettes at, you know, a fraction of the cost and bring it back to New York City and, uh, and consume it as long as it's two cartons or less. The fact of the matter is the Tax Foundation, which is a, a you know, a nonpartisan association for, uh, for, for looking at tax policy did the study and they determined that over 53% of all of the tobacco consumed in New York state could be characterized as smuggled. I don't know how you, you if, if two cartons or less can come into the state uh, exempt from, from cigarette tax, from state's use tax or, or sales tax or excise tax, then that's obviously not smuggled. So what they're talking about, and, and, they, and they are talking about us because we're not smuggling cigarettes. We, we've got stores. I mean, <laughs> we've got bank accounts. We're not smuggling anything. We're, we're doing what we have the right to do. So 53% of all tobacco consumed in New York State is smuggled in. We're not even a part of that number. So New York's problem is not us, but they're looking at us and they're targeting us and they're scapegoating us. What New York State says is that that every, what their laws say, and there's, a, there's actually a form, there's a form called CG15, you can look it up. And then CG15I is the instructions for that form. And what that is, is if you bring in more than two gardens, you have to remit a tax. But it says real clearly in the instructions, among the exemptions, is anybody bringing on their person two cards or less? So you can get, if you like Canadian cigarettes or European cigarettes or South American cigarettes and you travel, you can bring those two cartons of that, of that product back to New York and consume that product. And you can do that as often as you like. And it is exempt from New York state tax. So everybody in New York can go outside of the state to buy two cartons or less but the state is still maintaining, but you can't go to a native territory and do it. And of course, that's, that's bullshit. To suggest that somebody could cross the Pennsylvania line and bring a bunch of tobacco or two cartons or less back, but you can't go to, <laughs> to Allegheny or Cattaraugus or Onondaga. And of course, 
they're not enforcing anything. They aren't stopping anybody. And they, I mean, there was a period of time that they were actually stopping people. And if they had more than two cartons, they were confiscating them, which they're not supposed to do. Because according to their law, if you have more than two cartons, you have 24 hours to, to remit the tax. It's kind of an absurd regulation, but it exists. And you know what? The burden is on the consumer. So the burden is either buy two cartons or less, or you, you, you break the honor code. And you, do, and you do not remit the tax for your three or four or five cartons of cigarettes, however many you bought. To suggest that we cannot sell to somebody who comes onto our territory, you know, that, that our regulatory advantages cannot be um, exploited or taken advantage of, marketed. I mean, I know a lot of people from, from this area of Western New York who go to Pennsylvania to shop because it's cheaper. I mean, that, it'd be absurd to suggest that, oh, no, Pennsylvania can't, um, can't sell to New York uh, residents be, um, um, at a lower tax rate. I mean, that would be absurd to suggest that. But that's exactly what New York State says is their position. See, they won't admit anything. I, I personally went to Albany, got two state senators to request of the tax department, what is the state's policy on native brands? and native to native trade. So beyond the conversation about selling Marlboros or, or Newports, as we were moving to almost exclusively sell native products, there was a big question mark because in the language of Atia Moe and Colville, there is, again, what it says is with the state's policy of trying to pre-collect the tax, for, for, for a product that is going to be sold to, uh, purchased off territory and then sold to uh, non-natives who come on the territory, is, they said, that's on markedly different grounds. And you can look up markedly. <laughs> they said it's on markedly different standing than trying to tax native people directly for something that we're doing, like manufacturing, like marketing, like develop, brand development. What they talked about is if, if, if you're going to tax, and, and again, what New York was trying to do was, was make sure their wholesale, their wholesalers could not sell without a stamp on it. And if they did sell to native territories for our own personal use, they could be reimbursed. But, but they, they had to pay the tax first and then hope that, they, that the state would not audit them or something like that and then be stuck paying the tax that they didn't plan on, on paying. But it was just a, a stupid rule. You know, this is, again, one of the problems. When I hear somebody suggest that the courts are remedies for us, no, what the courts are are a place to, where we can throw a bunch of money at lawyers who are going to do their job. And their job is not to represent sovereign nations it's to find flaws in the laws that are being applied to us they can't even make the argument that the laws don't apply to us which is the argument that we're making because that's not what they're trained to do they've got to find a flaw a mistake a, a wrongful application and if you try to make that argument that the wrongful application is that we're sovereign the courts won't consider it And look, you know, my, my buddy beat his million plus dollar fine. 
but the but it was thrown out on a technicality now why was it thrown on a technicality i mean <laughs> it should have never gone that far if that technicality was really legit right of course it was legit i mean it was an illegal search and seizure but why did it have to go all the way to a state appellate court to, to, to make that ruling? And the reason it was thrown out is because the judges knew we were getting screwed. They knew that this Seneca Nation wholesaler was getting screwed. They knew it was wrong, but rather than addressing the substantive issue, that which is our right to conduct native to native commerce our our right to sell native brands they avoided it and they threw the case out based on an illegal search and seizure well you know if the if the first courts that we go in front of will do that that's fine but you know <laughs> My buddy Eric, he had to put up $1.3 million just to fight this case. And if he didn't, he had to pay $1.3 million anyway. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's insane the way this system works. And in the meantime, out, you know, $150,000 worth of cigarettes that were seized and, you know, eight years ago. So they have no value, even if they are sitting someplace and hundreds of thousands of dollars in lawyers fees and i'm not begrudging the lawyers i'm not begrudging the lawyers who 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 do represent us because some of some of them do make the sovereignty argument but in the words of my friend william kunstler as i stated last week he said make your arguments but make as many arguments as you can because the judges will not rule on issues of sovereignty or the lack of jurisdiction they will never do that. They will never diminish their authority. Look, I don't care about James Kennedy. I mean, the guy is, is, is a terrible, he's terrible. <laughs> but, you know, and it's not terrible because he's a Republican, because the, the Democrat before him was William Hochul, whose wife is now going to become the governor because of the, the twisted governor that's in office right now. I mean, the whole system is, is just a mess. William Hochul, the Democrat, who preceded this guy. I think he was a Democrat anyway. He was just as bad. We can't get any of these people, whether it's a Democratic governor or a, you know, or a Republican president, it doesn't matter who they are. Can we get any of them to, to sit down and say, look, what you're claiming is authority over us, but you have never, and this is the thing, we make this argument in court all the time. We say, show us where we became subject to your laws. When did we transfer our sovereignty to the United States? When did our land become part of the United States? It never was, and you even acknowledged it. Your first president in the Canandaigua Treaty, I got to say it over and over again, and I'm not a fan of the treaty, but the language in there says, we acknowledge that your land is yours. Look, in spite of the doctrine of Christian discovery, which made it sound like once white people discovered, discovered our lands, they could claim it, that wasn't as universal as people think because George Washington's representatives negotiated a treaty and they said it three times in Canandaigua that they acknowledged that the land is ours and they will never claim the same nor disturb us in the free use and enjoyment of our lands. Well, we're being disturbed constantly. And if you think because you declared we were citizens 
1924 that somehow you you claimed our territory as a result of that? That's bullshit. So, I mean, look, I'm not sure how much credibility, how much worry or concern we should give to this letter from this dope who's, you know, going to get hit in the ass by the screen door as he goes out of the Justice Department. I don't know that we got to worry about him or his letter. But the fact of the matter is, everything he said in that letter, U.S. attorneys, state tax department, governors, have said the same thing over and over again. We never get the issue addressed. So it doesn't matter if, if James Kennedy is heading out the door. Because the, the, his replacement is probably going to... Uh, it's probably going to look at the same thing. Until we can have a seat at the table and until they get our consent, which they won't, they're violating, they're violating us. They're just trying to subjugate us and impose their laws upon us. And that's a problem. So this week's show is, is a follow-up to last week's show because this letter just came out. And it just confirms everything that Jeff Rena and, and I talked about on the last podcast. Again, I, I, I advise people to, to check it out. Uh, the podcast was titled, Their Courts Are Not For Us. It's podcast number 549. If you're listening to this program and you hadn't listened to the, uh, to the previous one, you should listen to it. Because then it's not just my rant. I'm, I'm asking you know, uh, an attorney who has been defending Native businesses the best he can considering that these courts don't want to make rulings. So I want to thank you for listening to this week. And, and I, again, encourage you to listen to last week's podcast. And as always, if you like what you hear, you can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Let's Talk Native. You can follow the show on Twitter at Let's Talk Native. You can also follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Native TV. You can also join our Facebook group page. I am John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.